0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. One of the things that um, we do truly and very deeply believe as a church is this right here, that God, he actually cares about everybody, even the people Who do not care about him. Now, the reason why we believe that's true, the reason why we hold that conviction so deeply is because that truth and that idea is actually at the very center of the gospel of Jesus. Because if you think about the most famous verse in the entire Bible, right, um, what does it tell us? That God, he, He so loved all the people who loved Him back, right? That God loved that part of the world that would recognize Him and know Him and serve Him. And obey him? Nope. That God so loved the world, no qualification, that He gave. He gave His one and only Son. And so that very idea is at the heart and the center of the gospel of Jesus, which means it's also at the heart and the center of what it means for us to actually be a church of Jesus Christ, to actually be a part of the ecclesia, the gathering the movement of people who are followers of Jesus throughout this world. And so what we're doing really this fall um, is to take some time out to do corporately what hopefully every single one of us do individually all throughout the course of our year. And that's to actually think about how is it that we can love people who may not ever love us back. And how we can actually embrace people who may not ever embrace or believe what it is that we actually believe about Jesus. Because we think the best way to do that, we think the way that we actually earn the right to be heard by them, it's not by just constantly pointing out what it is that we are against as followers of Jesus, no. Instead, it's about saying what it is that we are for and doing what it is that we talked about last week and displaying unusual generosity, unusual compassion, and unusual kindness in such a way that people actually notice that, not to draw attention to ourselves, no. But to actually point people towards and influence people towards their Heavenly Father. Now, last week, I told you about some of the incredible ministry that is happening up at Victory um, Lutheran in Marquette, Michigan. And I also told you about um, some of the challenges that they are facing right now, some of the, the difficulties that they are facing. And I challenged uh, each one of you to give 1995 for Victory, right? That was the challenge I made to you last weekend. Now, you people are actually ridiculously generous. Because last weekend you gave over $14,000 on the first weekend alone to all the people at Victory. Now, if you were not with us last weekend um, or you didn't have cash on you last weekend, you can still give your nineteen ninety five dollars for Victory today. After the service, you can also go online and give it uh, there. That way, electronically, you can give it anytime during the course of these next several weeks while we're in this series. Um, but if you haven't done that yet... Um, I really want you to do that because our goal in this is really not about just raising this big pile of money, right? That's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is actually our goal is a participation goal because I want every single one of you to participate because in just a couple of weeks, we're going to write a really big check to Cheryl, Tammy, and John, and I want all of you to be able to take part and celebrate the huge blessing that that is going to be to them and to their ministry and the people at Victory. And so you need to scrape up your 1995 because you don't want to miss out on the celebration, and I don't want you to miss out because then you will be bummed out, and I would not want that to happen to you. So that brings us to today and what it is that we're going to be talking about today, which is the whole idea of actually serving and doing good. Now for us, right, as people who live in the United States, people who have most of us grown up in the Western world, the whole idea that God cares about everyone, I mean, that is in no way, um, that's not a new idea for us. I mean, you do not need to be a follower of Jesus to actually believe um, that God would care about everybody. I mean, even people who are just kind of, right, vaguely believe in, in some general God, right? Even they, even they believe that if there is a God, then surely that God is a good God. In fact, one of the reasons why people who are not followers of Jesus get so angry with those of us who are followers of Jesus is because oftentimes we treat people poorly and yet we claim to represent God. Now, why is all that? Well, it's because there is this general belief, right, among theists, and especially among people who come from a Judeo-Christian culture, that if there is a God, then certainly that God is a good God, certainly that God cares about other people. But like we talked about last week, that whole idea and thought is in no way natural. Because in ancient times, right, nobody believed this, nobody thought this, because in ancient times, people didn't just worship a single God, no, people worshiped all kinds of gods, and in polytheistic cultures, even the ones that exist in our world today, right, even the ones that exist in our world today, in those religions, in those systems of belief, that people don't believe that the gods that they worship are, are, are good. And so consequently, if the gods don't care about people, then people don't need to care about people. In fact, what was and what is common in those kinds of cultures is actually to sacrifice people in order to somehow try and please the gods. And as crazy and as bizarre as that sounds to every single one of us today, see, in reality, historically, the only monotheistic people that existed were actually the Jewish people. And if you have taken any time whatsoever at all to read some of the history of the Old Testament, what you discover is that even the Jewish people struggled at times with this this belief that there really was only one God. And they ended up worshipping multiple gods. And they really struggled with this whole idea that this one God actually cared about everybody and not just the Jewish people. And so consequently, this pervasive, pervasive belief in these these polytheistic gods, it ended up in, in the devaluing of all of human life. I mean, that whole idea that I should just treat everybody fairly, I should treat everybody with dignity and with justice, that everybody deserves mercy and kindness, right? those ideas just did not exist in the ancient world. I mean, compassion was seen as weakness, right? If you showed compassion to somebody, if you showed humility, right? If you put somebody else's needs ahead of your own or, heaven forbid, above your family, right? People just didn't do that. Unfortunately, people in those days valued what more and more people in our culture today are beginning to value, which are things like wealth and power and family name. And so it was into that world, it was into that culture where people were viewed as nothing more and nothing different than any other possession in which you owned or something that you, property that you, you had for yourself. It was into that culture that Jesus came, into that world that Jesus entered. And he began to teach and preach. And when Jesus would teach, he began to say that compassion is actually not a weakness, it's actually a sign of strength, that meekness isn't weakness. And when Jesus taught these ideas, he said, these are not just my ideas. This is actually what God thinks. This is how God is. Because Jesus said, if you want to know what God is like, stop looking out there. Stop looking up there. Just look right here. Because Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've actually seen the Father. And so all throughout his ministry, Jesus taught that every single person actually has inherent value. Right, Not ascribed value, not value because of your wealth, not value because of your last name, not value because of who it is that you are connected to or known by. But that every single person that you will ever be eyeball to eyeball with in the course of your entire life, they all have inherent value because every single one of them were actually created and made in the image of God, Jesus said. And so Jesus said if you want to honor God, then you need to actually honor the things that God honors. If you say you love God, then Jesus said you need to love the people that God says he loves. If you want to value God, then Jesus said you need to value the people that God values because Jesus said God actually values the people on your right, and God, he values the people on your left. But see, this was a brand new idea, this whole idea that, that Jesus unleashed on the world, that, that as followers of Jesus, that we would believe that every single person actually has value. It was a brand new idea. But see, as people today who are followers of Jesus, we want our communities to know. We want our neighbors to know. We want, our, we want everyone to know that we believe that you are, that people are valuable, that you are valuable to us because you are valuable to your heavenly Father. It was Jesus who began to turn the world upside down when he started to teach this out of Matthew chapter 5. Take out your Bibles, open them up. Matthew chapter 5, page 1503 in the Bibles, either in front of you or behind you. Jesus, he began to teach these words that are very familiar to some of us, But that still, if we stop and actually listen to them today, are still amazing ideas that every single one of us just kind of make us stop in our tracks. Because Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 42, he says, I want you to give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Which immediately, even us today, we hear that and we think to ourselves, okay, but what if they can't pay me back? Right? What, what if they take advantage of me? What if they take unfair ge- advantage of my generosity? What if they go and do something else with that money that I give to them? What if they can't return what it is that they have borrowed from me? But Jesus, he just goes on and he says this, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now chances are every single one of us have heard that before, but what Jesus is doing here is actually incredibly interesting. Because what Jesus is doing in this statement is he is confronting one of the major ways of of belief and thinking that existed in his day and among his culture. Because what had happened, even this whole idea actually has nothing to do with the Old Testament. You might not know that. This has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with ancient Judaism whatsoever. There's no place in the Old Testament where God tells you to hate your enemies. But even knowing that, what the teachers of the law did is they had took things that God did say in the Old Testament. They took and made some assumptions about who God was and things that were written in the Psalms and things that were written in the Proverbs. And they came up with this whole idea that said that as, just as you are to love your neighbors and love your friends, then you should also therefore hate your enemy. Because obviously, if you're going to love people in one group, then all the people who are not in that group should not be loved. In fact, you should hate them. And so Jesus, he confronts this whole way of thinking, and he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you. And see, when Jesus said that, but I tell you, what he was doing was saying, okay, everybody else who's told you this before, they were all wrong. They were all wrong. But Jesus, I heard that in the synagogue. Doesn't matter, Jesus would say, they were wrong. Jesus, it was the most educated person in my village that told me, doesn't matter, you were told something that was wrong. But Jesus, this is how my parents raised me. It doesn't matter. Your parents taught you something that was wrong. Never, Jesus is saying, never ever has your heavenly father commanded you to hate anybody. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now let's just kind of pause here for just a second because eyes appear right? Because what if all of us here, what if we just did that for a month? Right? See, you don't even need to be a follower of Jesus to know. Right? You don't even need to to be a follower of Jesus to do this. Because, right, do you know what will happen if for a month, every day, you pray for the person who is persecuting you? Do you you know what's going to happen to you? Right? Even people who just pray general prayers to a general God... Do you know what will happen if you, every day for a month, pray for the person who's persecuting you, no matter what it is that persecution looks like in your world, whether that's a boss or a manager or a fellow employee, maybe it's a friend even who humiliates you and teases you. Do you know what's going to happen to your attitude towards that person? And do you know whose attitude your attitude is going to begin to mirror? Your Father in heaven. Right? In fact, if you're here today, Right, And this is your thing. This is your thing. Because you know there is anger and bitterness and resentment in your heart. This is how that actually gets fixed today. This is how our Heavenly Father works in our hearts today to remove anger and bitterness from us. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That, Jesus says, in other words, so that. Here's the result so that you may be sons of your father in heaven, right? So the idea here is like father, like son, right? Like mother, like daughter, like parent, like child. Jesus is saying, okay, listen, if you want to be like the child who is like the parent, right, then you need to do the same kinds of things that your heavenly father does because Jesus says this is how. This is how your heavenly father actually operates, And even for us today, we hear that and we think to ourselves, okay, really, are are you sure about that? I mean, really, does he really do that? And Jesus says, absolutely he does. Absolutely he does, because, you'll understand this, he says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus is saying, listen, this is just how your heavenly father is wired up. He is good to both the righteous and the unrighteous, and I want you, Jesus is saying. Those of you who are my followers, I want you to figure out how to be and how to do the very same kinds of things. Bless those who bless you, Jesus says. And perhaps, perhaps even give a double blessing to those who don't. See, this is our Heavenly Father's Son, right? Saying to all of us, right? This is Jesus saying to all of us, listen, As my followers, this is what it is that I want you to do. And see, this changed the world once, didn't it? Our world was changed by Jesus and a group of people who believed and embraced this crazy, crazy idea that every single person has value. And so because of that, we should actually do for others what our Heavenly Father has done for us. Jesus says, figure out a way. Figure out a way to do for others what your Heavenly Father has already done for you. And right, just before we check out because we hear those words and we just, okay, it's just too unrealistic, right? It's just too unrealistic. And Jesus says, I get it, I get it. But before you go, let me just ask you one question. If you love those who love you, right, which we all do, because that's the real world, right? That's how the real world works. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You're good to me, I'm good to you, right? You sit with me, I'll save you a seat. You get me tickets, I'll get you tickets. That's just how it's done, right? That's how the world works. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, if we want to really understand the punch that Jesus is trying to, to lay here, Tax collectors, we hear that, we think IRS agents, and we're just like, okay, who cares? It doesn't even matter to us, right? What I want you to do is this think for me, with me for a moment. No elbows to your person next to you. Think about that group of people or that person in life that absolutely disgusts you. The group of people, the type of person in this world, don't say anything, just keep it to yourself. You don't need to verbalize it, just keep it to yourself. Think about that group of people that absolutely, positively disgusts you and you have no respect for whatsoever. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Don't you think that if you were able to kind of pop in on their life and kind of watch them for a moment, isn't it true? Don't you expect that they would be good to the people who are good to them? Don't you think they would treat the people well who treat them well? And Jesus is saying this. Here's his point. I am no better. I am no better because I am doing exactly what they do. Right? I'm nice to the people who are nice to me. I'm kind to the people who are kind to me. I cover for the people who cover for me. I support the people who support me. I do for them what they do for me. Jesus' point is, listen, even the tax collectors do that. Even the people, the the fill-in-the-blank category of people that you're thinking about right now, even they do that, Jesus is saying. Right? This is Jesus, right? Not me. This is Jesus kind of getting in all of our faces a little bit. And he's saying, listen, listen, you are living your life no better than the people that you have no respect for if all you do is to do good for the people who can do good for you. And he continues, verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, right, again, you've experienced this. Have you ever been someplace and you thought to yourself, okay, these are just not my people? Right? I love them. Hope they go to heaven someday. Not my people. In other words, if you're going to have a barbecue at your house some Saturday afternoon, right? Not those people. If I'm going to go hang out and i got some free time, right? Not those people. Right? Those are not my people. If you greet only your own brothers, Jesus says, then what more? What more are you doing? And see, this is This is his point right there, this tension. This is not natural for any of us, right? Because this is what we all do, isn't it? This is just what we all do. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly my point, because this is not natural. What I am calling you to is not natural. It is not universal. It is uniquely Jesus. If you greet those, if you greet only your own brothers, what are you doing more, more, Than the others, right? Nothing. Do not even the pagans do that, Jesus says. See, this is Jesus saying to all of us, come on, come on, everybody does that. Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you, right? I don't want you to be like everybody. I I don't want you to be like everyone else. I want you to be my followers. And see, the word here that we translate as greet, right? It can mean all kinds of different things. It can mean embrace, it can mean show respect to. It can mean to show honor to, it can mean to welcome, it can mean all those different things. But in any of those different contexts, the overall meaning is always the same. Jesus is saying, listen, if you always just go out of your way for, and if you only just go towards these people, and if you only do for those who are like you, then Jesus says, come on, come on, that's what everybody is doing. That's not what I want you to do. You're my followers. I want you to get noticed for how well you actually treat the people who don't treat you well. Because nobody is going to give you any credit. Nobody's going to give you any reward. Remember the word reward? Nobody's going to give you any reward, Jesus says, for doing for others what they can do for you, for being kind to the people who can be kind to you. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to do more than just that. And then he goes on, and and he he makes this very shocking statement, And, and this is really the shocking statement here, because Jesus says, listen, if you will do that, if that will actually become the habit of your life, if that becomes what you are known for and characterized for as my followers, if you will greet the people who are not your people, if you will go out of your way to welcome the people who are not like you, and if you will not only pray for the people who pray for you, but even pray for those people who are persecuting you, when you do that and that becomes the habit of your life as my follower, Jesus says, then you will be perfect. Therefore, just as your heavenly Father Is perfect, And so when we hear that, we think the very same thing that people listening to Jesus thought. But Jesus, wait a minute, I can't do that. I can't be perfect like God is perfect. I can't be sinless. To which Jesus would say, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You're never going to be sinless. That is the point, actually. That is why I have come. I'm going to make you into something that naturally you are not. And as a result, Jesus says, of what it is that I have actually done for you in this context, right? In this very, very important context that you all live in and work in and exist in every single day. This context of how it is that you actually treat other people, Jesus says, because of what I have done for you, you can be. You can be like your father in heaven. You can be a child of the most high God, not because you're morally perfect, Not because you get it right every time, not because you never make a mistake, not because you're sinless, but simply because you get this part right here, Jesus is saying, just simply because you do this right. Jesus became like you so that you could actually become like him. Because Jesus says when you do this, then you will be like your father in heaven because, right? Because your heavenly father is all about doing good for those who cannot or will not do good for him. Now, eyes back up here for a minute. So this idea right here is what Jesus would talk about as being God likeness, godliness. That's what Jesus would say this is. Now, True confession time. For me, not you. If you were to ask me for most of my life growing up, and even into my adult life, if you were to ask me to honestly say, okay, what is it, the first thing, what's the first thought that pops into your head when you hear words, Joe, when somebody says to you a word like godly or holy, do you know what my response would have been? Boring. Boring. But just sounds boring to me. I mean, I'm glad you're holy, right? I'm glad you're godly. That's great. Um, but that just sounds boring to me. Now, I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that was me. But see, Jesus, Jesus says godliness, godlikeness, holiness. That is not about boring. That is about doing for others what others cannot or will not do for you. So this past week, um, around here, it was pretty darn exciting, um, Monday and Tuesday, as we started to get word about how ridiculously generous um, you all are as people and the amount of money you gave last week for victory, but the most exciting thing happened on Wednesday night when we as a church received um, one of the most significant gifts that we've ever received in our history as a church before. And it came in this little envelope right here. From a five-year-old who put his $20 for victory into this envelope. Love others who cannot or will not love you back. Serve others who cannot or will not Serve you. Now, see, Jesus, he doesn't just teach this. This is what's so amazing about Jesus. Jesus actually models this for us. Because right after Jesus got finished saying those words to all those people as he was on that mountainside, as he walks down the mountainside, Matthew tells us he goes into the village of Capernaum. And when he gets to the village of Capernaum, there is a centurion there who is asking Jesus for help. And Matthew tells us that it wasn't just a Roman soldier. No, this was a centurion, a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion became a Roman centurion because of two words, violence and submission. Violence and submission. They took orders Without question, which means that the man standing in front of Jesus right now had done the unthinkable. He had violated every type of Jewish law that there ever was. He had violated everything that you and I would ever call moral or decent in our world today. And this man is standing in front of Jesus. A man who the Jewish people would have thought of as a murderer and a thief. This man is standing in front of Jesus and he is now asking Jesus for a favor. To which Jesus could have very easily said to him, are you serious right now? You, you're concerned because your, suffer, your servant is lying at home suffering? Really? You're talking to me about suffering, Jesus could have said? You are the personification of suffering. My whole family is suffering because of you. Our whole world is suffering because of you. And now you're coming to me uh, because you're concerned about suffering. When you, a Roman centurion, when you think about all the suffering that you've caused, all that you've ordered your men to do, all the suffering that they have done following your orders, when you have ordered them into villages to assault people, to, to steal from people, to pillage people, and now you're going to come to me because you're concerned that your property Your servant, your slave is suffering. Are you kidding me right now, Jesus could have said? You are the personification of suffering. You are suffering walking around in a body. You are suffering with two legs and two arms. Seriously? Jesus could have said, suddenly now you're concerned about suffering because this is hurting you? But see, Jesus... Jesus was born into this world to introduce and bring into this world something which is completely unnatural to this world. A brand new way of living, a way of living that would fly in the face of everything that is natural and everything that even you and I today in our world would consider to be or call common sense. And Jesus had just finished saying the very words that we just read. If you're good to those who are good to you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors? Are not even the pagans doing those very same things? Jesus just said those words to the people that were with Jesus right now, and now a Roman centurion stands in front of Jesus asking for a favor. Can you even imagine the emotion of this moment? And so Jesus looks at the centurion and says, Shall I come and heal him? And he did. And 25 years later, the Apostle Paul, he would look back in history and he would put into words, he would put into some very familiar words the tension and the drama and the emotion that every single person present that day watching Jesus, watching this conversation between a Roman centurion and Jesus would experience. And he said this at just the right time, while we were still sinners, we still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? Who did Jesus die for? Did he die for the godly people? No. Christ died for the ungodly. Did he die for people who could return the favor someday? No. He died for the ungodly. But, very rarely... Will anyone die for a righteous person? Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, right? Paul says, but God, he does what? He demonstrates. In other words, he doesn't just preach something. He doesn't just teach something. He doesn't just say something. He doesn't just write something. No, Paul says, but God... He demonstrates his own love for us, you and me, all of us. While we were still sinners, it's in that moment Christ died for you. And Jesus did for us exactly what we would never do, ever expect anyone to do for us or for anyone else. And he said, this is why I'm actually here. I'm going to bring into this world something that is not natural to this world. And I am not simply asking you to do it. I am going to be the supreme example of it because my life will not be taken from me, Jesus said. No, I will lay it down. And not long after this moment, Jesus did, in fact, lay his life down for that centurion as well as the centurion who crucified him. And when he did that, when Jesus did that, he took away all of my excuses. And I believe, but I'll let you consider, I believe he took away all of yours as well. And see, although we will always be criticized as followers of Jesus for what it is that we believe, because we believe some crazy things, what we should be known for is how well we actually treat other people. Although we will always be criticized for what it is that we believe, because after all, I mean, we believe that a man actually rose from the dead. It's like, okay, they're crazy. We actually believe that people don't have to pay for their own sin that there's someone who's actually willing to pay for, for somebody else's sin that you can't that's crazy no way. We actually believe in this this that there's this magic book that God still uses to speak to everyday people every day. I mean I am so sure they are crazy. We believe that Jesus is going to appear again. Even though we haven't seen them in 2,000 years, I am so sure they are crazy. But as crazy as they are, as crazy as those Jesus people, those church people are, you know what I've noticed? The more of them that are in our community, it seems like the better our community gets. I wonder. I wonder if there is a connection. No strings attached generosity was the hallmark of the first century church. Imagine if that became what the church of the 21st century was known for as well. Let's at least, let's at least make sure that's what our church is known for in this community. Let's pray, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Those amazing words, while we were, even though we still are, although we will continue to be sinners, you did in fact send your son to die for us. And Father, we're not doing this, we're not talking about this because we want to try to pay you back somehow. We know that is just silly and a waste of time because we could never pay you back. Father what we can do is to actually point people to you and to your son and so please Father as we're here today as we continue to talk and think and pray about this, um, this very important subject throughout the course of these weeks that we're together Father show us how we can actually serve people in your name not only corporately but also individually show us the people that are in our neighborhoods Show us the people in our schools, the people we work with, the people that we can actually serve and love, even though they may not love us back, even though they may never embrace and believe what we believe, Jesus, about you. Open our hearts to them so that we might have the opportunity to point them to you. And Father, for the countless men and women who are are a part of this place that you have blessed our church with, who for years and years and years have understood exactly what we're talking about today and who have lived this out, who stay up late and who get up early, who say no to all kinds of other things, who use their vacation time and they sideline their business, they sideline their schedules, they say no to all kinds of fun things, they use their extra time off to drive all over the city, all over the community just to do what it is that we're talking about today, because what it is that you have put on their heart to love and serve in your name, Father, that's just who you've made them to be. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that this is a church, that we are a people after your own heart. And Father, I pray that you would keep us close to your heart, all of us, that in all we say and in all we do, that we would truly be known for being a people who want to be more and more like you every single day. Jesus, that is our prayer. That is our hope. And that's what we ask that you would do in every single one of us today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.